As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting in the road, beside the road. When he heard the noise of the crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus the Nazarene is coming by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people in front yelled at him. But he only shouted louder. Can I do that? Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he stood up and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. Welcome to Cairns Road this morning. Um, I'm Maki, I'm the minister here. And um, as a church, we've been reading through the scriptures from January, and we've been going on from Old Testament to New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. And um, today is our last day on the Gospel of Luke. Tomorrow we start with the book of Psalms, and we're going to be reading two Psalms a day. Keeps the heat away in the summer. Refreshed in the Psalms. Um, so we're hoping that by the end of August, we're going to be reading 70 Psalms together by God's grace. So it's good. Um, and the way that we've done actually the whole church life in the last six months is that we dwell on a particular theme or a particular subject or a particular chapter or portion of scripture of what we've been reading as a church um, until this point. So uh, this morning I wanted to stop at um, Luke chapter 18 and we read the story which is very familiar, the story of this um, blind beggar who really, uh, Nicola did a great job reading that, is desperate to see Jesus touch his life. And then Jill reminded us that actually the context of it is that the story of the beggar, or what Luke wants us to, to know, is not necessarily just that. It's that Jesus is in the uh, moment to teach the disciples uh, what prayer is. And what has been very interesting in reading the whole scripture and getting the whole counsel of God is the fact that actually out of those paragraphs, out of the verses come paragraphs, and out of those paragraphs are the chapters, and the chapters are part of the books, and books create a whole genre. And we cannot read it very 
independently of what the Bible says or what that book says. And what has been very interesting, and I have appreciated in Luke by reading the whole gospel, is that actually I have really enjoyed reading, especially the first part of the book of Luke, that the stories that we read normally in December with Advent, with leading about the birth of Jesus, that they are very kind of, we read them as if they're just independent stories. But they're big, they're part of this big picture of God's wisdom and God's counsel to his people. And I've really been fascinated of how things are connected. And I think what has been brilliant is that because we've been living in the Old Testament as well as in New, some of these things are making more sense. I don't know for you, but for me, they're making more sense because I'm connecting um, or it's becoming more connected. Um, And let's not forget that we are in the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke starts from this doctor who's writing to this right-honored person, Theophilus. And he says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that you've been fulfilled amongst us. They used the white witnesses' reports circulating amongst us from the early disciples. And having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an account which is accurate for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything that you have been taught. This is the purpose why Luke has written the gospel. So whenever anybody opens the gospel and reads a story, that they come with that sense of certainty of the truth that they've been taught. So we are in Luke chapter 18. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. As I said earlier on, the young people are doing Luke chapter 24. That's the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is preparing himself. He's preparing his disciples. There is this moment of preparation as well that as he is departing from his disciples, he's also preparing them that actually they are not going to have it easy. To be a follower of Jesus is not an easy thing. They're not going to have it easy. But also there is this moment of the kingdom that Luke is very keen about for them to understand or for us to understand as he has kind of summarized things from the eyewitnesses. That there is this moment of here now of the kingdom that Jesus is present with his disciples. But also it's the there and then that of Jesus returning. So there is this tension of them enjoying and celebrating as much as they can while they have got Jesus with them. And when he leaves them, then there is this moment of the expectation of his return. So with that in mind, if the purpose of the book of Luke is for us to have certainty on the things that we have been taught, if there is an element here that actually Jesus is continuing to prepare his disciples... Well, the context of Luke chapter 18 is chapter 17. 
If you look at chapter 17, verse 20, there is a question, an important question that has been asked there. There is, a, a, there is something that people are curious. One day, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus, when then will the kingdom of God come? And then Jesus says, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom of God has already started among you. And then he goes on to teach his disciples. You've got chapter 17 till verse 37. And then you've got chapter 18 and so forth. And when we come to chapter 18, there are um, a few events there that help us to understand what is going on. He is going to tell them stories. And I think when we come to these stories of the New Testament, we've said it in the past, that for us, the story that the kids are doing in their uh, groups is the story of Zacchaeus. And I I met with Dave this week, and he had asked uh, the church that he preached last Sunday about Zacchaeus. And he said, how many of you are familiar with the story of Zacchaeus? And everybody put their hands up. And then he asked the question, what do you like about the story of Zacchaeus? And one of the answers was that it's a very good children's story. We need to realize that when we come to scriptures, Jesus telling these stories, they've got a really punch. Jesus is not telling stories because he wants to be a good storyteller. He is telling stories so he creates a shock in people's lives, in people's minds, so they can respond to the message. So then he goes and tells the story of this judge who Jesus himself uh, describes as the, well, the, the judge of injustice. He did ne- neither fear God, verse 2, nor cared about people. And this is a story. And how do we bring it to contemporary terms? Well, in those days, people had, 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 if they had issues locally, they would go to the local judge and they would bring all the evidence and stuff like that and it would be sorted. It's the, it's the equivalent of us going to the magistrates if there is trouble, but also there is an element here that people would refer, go to the judges in order to ask for help. So in our terms, we're probably going to the local councillor or the local MP. And the way it's described here is to, it's, this is in the context of how much more, if you think a judge can do this, how much more God can do it. So this judge is full of injustice. He, he's got this um, lady who's coming over and over again to the point 
that he makes a decision to help her. And Jill very kindly shared a little bit about what she thought about this parable. It's this kind of determination, persistence in our prayers. And to bring a little bit more of the context, yes, this is not just about us feeling guilty here about how little we pray or how difficult prayer is, but prayer here is in the context of the tension of the here now and there and then of the kingdom of God. This persistence is that actually we continue to show and share our communion with God when actually Jesus is not physically present with us, but he is returning. There is this element of Jesus trying to to shock the people because that prayer, that communion, that, that continuation of being consistent and persistent, that, that moment of actually not giving up because Christ will return, continue the communion with God. I remember we did a Bible study finishing with Philippians. I think one of the phrases that we've been using a lot in the pandemic is hang in there. And I think we have misused that phrase as Christians because I think as, as, as disciples of Jesus, we're not just to hang in there. We're to press on. To have that confidence, to have that persistence because if this judge who is full of injustice is able to fulfill the persistence of this lady... How much more, as Jill reminded us in her prayers, this good and loving Father is able. And the question is, well then, why the wait? Why this persistence? Why there is no answer to this persistence? But if we've got the return of Christ part of the context, then this makes this waiting of God to not reply to our prayers for his return very, very tangible. Because in one sense, it shows that God is full of loving kindness and he's still waiting for people to turn their hearts to him. Yes, all the injustice, yes, all the evil, yes, all the things that disturb us can be sorted out instantly. But yet, we've got a God who is full of long-suffering and patience, and he is waiting for people to come to him. And yet, those that know him are asked to continue with persistence. The second example that Jesus tells to drive a shock story is of these two guys going to the temple praying, one at the front and one at the back. One who is very ritually clean and he is done, ticked all the boxes. He's come to the front. He's ready to present himself 
for the festivities and one in the back. One who is confident in his religiosity and one who is confident in the mercy of God. One who is very self-aware and he congregates, well, congratulates himself. And one who is so self-aware that the only thing that he can congratulate is God for his mercy. So prayer, not only about our persistence and and waiting for God to reply, but that element of confidence in God's mercy. There's three elements here in these prayers that help us to calibrate our confidence in the mercy of God. Look how the Pharisee prays. Stood by himself, prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people, those cheaters, sinners, adulterers. And I'm certainly not like that tax collector who's sitting in the back. I fast twice a week. And, by the way, I give you the tenth of my income. I thank you that I am not just the other people. Gratitude in finding the differences and negativity in others that serves as a smokescreen for our own shortcomings. Arrogance in the self-discipline and self-denial that makes us feel good about ourselves. Comparison in our obedience that is dismissive of the condition of our soul. O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner, says the tax collector. Two prayers said by two men with two different destinies. One goes home thinking that he was justified. And the other, the Lord justifying him. Persistence, that attitude of humility and that attitude of confidence, not in myself, but in God's mercy. And then Jesus is confronted by this rich man. And then he talks, uh, sorry, he blesses the children and then he's confronted by this rich man who goes home very sad because Jesus had defended him. Then Jesus talks about his death. 
And then we come to the story that we read earlier on. The story of this blind man who actually is being shut down by people who think that he does not deserve God's touch. He's not up to that standard. And yet, of all people, he's got the confidence and the faith to say what he wants. So, the whole chapter 18 is a lesson on prayer. And it's sandwiched between different events. But Jesus is trying to teach the disciples that how important this communion with God is. So, yes, there is this element of persistence and this element of faithfulness and element of standing in the promises of God while we wait for Christ's return. Yes, there is that element of humility, of heart as we approach God. But there is also this way that we see with Bartimaeus or the blind man that he is seizing the moment. He is making the most of the moment of Jesus going by. Sam Storm, um, one of the guys that um, I listen to and I read quite a few commentaries, he's got, a, he's got a, a phrase called practicing the presence. Practicing the presence of Jesus. And this is what this blind man is doing here. He's in Jericho. The only thing that he can do is beg. Jericho is a well-to-do city. The only way that the, the religious leaders can soothe in their conscience is by giving alms to this poor man. So, so he's not, he's, I don't think he's poor. I think he's totally deprived because he's lonely. The way he's treated is by, this is who you are, and therefore you don't need God. And then he knows something about Jesus. And in his knowledge, he acts. He makes the most of the opportunity that he has. And he goes, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, it's the same kind of attitude as the tax collector. Same kind of phrase, have mercy on me. Oh, shut up, shut up. Jesus has not got time for you. And perhaps you're sitting here today and you think, maybe I can identify with this Bartimaeus. Because what we see here is that it's unfinished business. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, maybe I have been shut down whether from my own thoughts, the lies, from people around me, to shout out of my heart to the Lord Jesus to have mercy, to shout out to my, from my heart and to, to, to seize the moment and to say, Lord, have mercy on me. 
And that's what Jesus does. He's, more, he's got mercy because he stops. And as we've been reminded from the beginning of the service, Jesus says, what do you want me to do? If Jesus was to ask you that question, in the quietness and the honesty of your heart, what would your answer be? Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I've answered that question 20 years ago and I have regrets by the way that I have answered that question because I should have answered it in a different way. I'm so grateful that our God is not a God of one wish only. There are three friends. They were sailing and their boat got shipwrecked. They ended up in an island. And while waiting for help, a bottle came to shore. They opened the bottle and Jeannie came out and asked the first guy, tell me your wish. And he said, I would love to go back to my wife in Cornwall. He went to Cornwall. The second person, friend, said, I would love to go back and see my children in Glasgow. So he went back to his children. The third person said, I feel very lonely. I want my friends back. Thank goodness that God is not a God of one wish only. And we need to know that when Jesus came to this earth, when he came and he called disciples, he called the disciples to give them life. And he says, I've come not just to give you life, but give you life full of abundance. So what do you want me to do for you? Because God has promised us the abundant life. So if God has promised us his abundant life and he's true to his promises, how then are you, how then am I practicing that presence of Jesus? Well, the writer of Hebrews has got an answer for that. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. He's talking about Jesus here again. I know the answer is Jesus. It's a good answer. It's talking about Jesus being our high priest whose experience has gone through our weaknesses. Because the, 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 the thing that I don't want to do this morning is to... to Make you feel guilty about your prayer life. To make you feel guilty about your persistence. I don't want to do that. 
I want to press on that actually we've got a life abundant in Christ and we need to make the most of it and seize the moment. Grab the opportunity. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. We've got Jesus. He is our high priest. And since we have this high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Certainty of the things that you've been taught through Jesus and the firmness of holding to the things that we have believed or we believe. The high priest, he's our high priest, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And there we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. This is our God. This is the God of abundant life. Friends, we've got a choice to make today. When we meet Jesus and he meets us in his mercy. We need to deal with that unfinished business. We need to answer that question honestly. And approach him in faith. And be surprised by his touch. His healing hand. His restoring hand. And his life abundant, giving God. Before Iron and the band comes, just want to give some space here. And also, I want to encourage that if you wanted for somebody to pray with you, find somebody. It doesn't have to be me. I'm very willing. God wants to give you abundant life. Don't leave this place today by saying, I want that. Because He is the God of the abundant life. Let's have this space together and I'll bring it to a close. Thank you that you meet us, whether in the quietness of our hearts or in the battle of our thoughts. And thank you that you are a God who loves to have communion with us, to have this dialogue. Help us, Lord, to be 
persistence in our prayers to you. Help us to be met by your mercy and have confidence in it. And as you meet us, Lord, in in your mercy, I pray that we will be able to articulate in our weakness what you want us to do. Help us, Lord, to state the obvious and the unobvious. Give us faith today. Because you are the God who gives life to the fullness, abundant life. And we want that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.